Um, this morning we'll be studying um, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, which can be found on page 828 of some of your pew Bibles. Again, that's Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family, in heaven and on earth, derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning, everyone. Natalie said it's good to have you join us this morning. <coughs> Pastor Jeff is um, actually away in Singapore on a teaching assignment, so I have the opportunity to speak with you uh, one more, one last time, or depending on your perspective, you're stuck with me for one last time. Um, honestly, I, I, I was hoping not to have to uh, speak this week because there's just uh, so much work uh, we personally have to do to get ready uh, for a move. Uh, I actually emailed Pastor Jeff and I said, you know, if I speak this week, my wife's going to kill me. And Pastor Jeff emails me back like, don't, don't worry, I'll, I'll send a couple guys over to take take care of Millie. <laughs> but um. Seriously, I think God wanted me to uh, speak this week. Uh, Pastor Jeff shared with me that he actually asked uh, four outside speakers to speak this Sunday, uh, but they were all unable to. And even uh, on a smaller scale, when I was uh, preparing my sermon, uh, the way I kind of work on my sermon is, you know, as I read things and I, I kind of take notes on a legal pad, and I found that uh, as I was taking notes, there was just enough sheets in this legal pad um, to take the notes for the sermon, and then the legal pad was all finished. So I think, you know, in those uh, little ways, I think God wanted me to speak uh, this week. Uh, we're going to take a break from our series on Mark. Uh, Pastor Jeff said it was okay to speak on whatever I wanted to. Uh, since he and most of the CB leaders are away this week, I can actually say what I really want to say, <laughs> but, um, but I, I won't do it. I'm just kidding. Um, it took me a while, actually, to figure out um, what I was going to speak on. As, as you can imagine, I have just so many thoughts going through my mind. I, re I remember when I first met some of you, you were you know, anxious high school graduates uh, about to start college and, and kind of nervous as to what college was going to be like. And now you're anxious college graduates um, wondering what your first job's going to be like or if you're already working, wondering if you're on the right career path. Uh, some of you, when I met, were 
uh, still single and you were you know, wondering when you were going to get married, but now you're married and you have thoughts like, I had so much freedom when I was single. Um, some of you didn't have kids, um, but now you have many kids uh, crawling through the house and um, you're just worn out. And I know, you know some of you are currently going through like, things like career transitions, health concerns, you know, relational issues. So you know, what can I say um, to bless all of you, to encourage you before I leave? I mean, I can pray for you, uh, but you know, what can I even pray for? So I'm not wise and smart enough, I don't pretend to be, to know what the best thing to pray for you would be, but fortunately we have scripture to guide us. And I was led to this prayer in Ephesians 3. You know, the Apostle Paul, he had a deep love for, for the Ephesian church as he spent more than three years there teaching and preaching uh, to that church. And in turn, uh, when he was in prison, uh, the church, out of their love, sent messengers to, to uh, Rome to visit Paul and, and care for him uh, while he was imprisoned. And you can sense this deep love that Paul has for the church when he writes in the first chapter in Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 16, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Throughout this letter in Ephesians, Paul seeks to teach and encourage the members of the church. And so I'm going to kind of steal a page out of his playbook and take uh, this passage from chapter 3. To give you a little background on this passage in Ephesians, throughout this entire book, Paul is kind of like the master of run-on sentences as we find numerous examples of this uh, in this book. Uh, and, and this is very true for this passage. In, in the original language, in verses 14 to 19, it's actually one long sentence consisting of 86 words. And like all of his other prayers in Scripture, um, you know, we find that Paul doesn't pray for things like, you know, I pray that you would have abundant crops, or I pray that you would have good health. Not to say that, you know, we shouldn't pray for these things, or, or they're not that important. Uh, you know, we, we certainly can pray for these things, but, you know, I admire Paul because he's more concerned with what would be things of eternal value. As we get into the prayer for this morning as we get into this passage, it's not as easy to see in our English translations, but in the original language, um, the prayer breaks down neatly into three sections um, by the use of this word hina, which in Greek means that. So if I read the verses that contain this word hina, it would say this, like verse 16 to 17, is I pray that God out of his glorious riches may strengthen you with power in Christ to dwell through faith in your hearts. In verse 18, it would say, I pray that you would have power to grasp together with all the saints what is the width and, or how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And in the end of verse 19, it would say, I pray that you would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So as we dig a little deeper into these requests, you know, I want us to look at you know, what they mean and also why he would request such things. And just a note that, that though there are you know, maybe many reasons why Paul particularly highlighted each request. I'm just going to focus on one. So this isn't meant to be you know, an exhaustive list of reasons. <clears throat> the first request, verse 16 and 17, I pray out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ 
may dwell in your hearts through faith. So I summed up this request by saying that Paul prayed that his listeners would be filled with the Spirit and Christ. The listeners would be filled with Spirit and Christ. Something to clarify here, if you caught it, when you read verse 15 to, or 16 and 17, it seems like the way it's written, verse 17 is the result of verse 16, right? I pray that you may be filled with the Spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. But this, this is not the case. The Spirit's power in dwelling does not cause the indwelling of Christ. Either they are you know, unique, distinct things, but they're inseparable. So in Romans 8, verses 9 to 10, if you can read it, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, what does it say, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And then get this, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So see how here Paul uses, you know, the Spirit indwelling in you and Christ in you kind of interchangeably? Not that, you know, they're the same person, but that the two always go together, the Spirit and Christ. So what Paul is really asking for in our passage is that they would be strengthened through the indwelling of the Spirit in Christ. And why would he pray this? Because they're our source. They are our source. They are our source of salvation. They are the source of our strength. At the beginning of the passage, Paul writes, for this reason. So then you have to think, well, for what reason? Well, if you, if you studied the passage a little more, you would figure out that what Paul is alluding to is actually what he wrote back in chapter 2. He gets sidetracked a little bit in the first part of chapter 3 as he talks about his own sufferings. But then back in chapter 2, he writes this in verses 11 to 16. You can flip back to that chapter if you want. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember at that time that you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So here Paul teaches that though at one time we were without hope, we were without salvation, through Jesus' death, we are now able to receive salvation and be reconciled back into a relationship with God. Because Christ has done all this, Paul writes in our passage, for this reason, because Christ has done this, I pray that you would be greater indwelled with Christ and in the Spirit. Notice, too, that Paul in verse 16 prays that we would be strengthened in our inner being. And this is important because it's the inner person that drives what we think and do. Some of you may be familiar with that passage in Romans 7 where Paul talks about his struggle with sin. He writes, sorry, it's a little smaller, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, 
but what I hate, I do. Later in that passage, he says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do good, but I cannot carry it out. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin. Finally, he concludes in chapter 7, Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers us through Jesus, our Lord. And then he adds in verse 2 of the next chapter, chapter 8, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So for this first request, I think Paul is asking God to ensure the Ephesians believers to be grounded in salvation through Christ in the Spirit and receive inner strength to be able to stand firm and victorious over sin and temptation. When you think about it, this is just, you know, just an awesome first request that he would pray in this prayer. A request that I can pray for you, for your, secure, or for your salvation, for your strengthening through Christ and the Spirit. A request that we can pray for one another and bless each other through that prayer. The second request is that his listeners would be filled with greater knowledge of the love of Christ. Verse 17b to 18, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how high or how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You know, we sing about Jesus' love all the time in worship, like we did earlier, right? We sang about how there is no greater love than Jesus' love. We often talk about how great God's love is. We see many passages in Scripture demonstrating Jesus' love. I think of John chapter 13, verse 1, where it says, you know, having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus now showed them the full extent of his love. This verse kind of preludes and references his servant nature by, you know, by what he was about to do next, which was washing the disciples' feet, and then ultimately alludes to his sacrifice on the cross. You know, we sing and talk and read about the love of Christ, but to what extent have we personally grasped it? If you caught it, there's kind of actually an oxymoron in this passage, right? Because Paul is praying that the Ephesians may be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is Jesus' love, but then he writes in verse 19 that this love surpasses knowledge, so we really can't know it. So his request is more that we come to a greater and greater awareness of God's love, of Jesus' love for us. Why would he make this request? Because it's our security. You know, during the years I've served here, I've had the opportunity to talk with you know, many college students, young adults, people who regularly attended our fellowships and our church, others who didn't. You know, one of the things that saddened me was, you know, just this awareness I developed of how common it is for people to struggle with issues of self-worth. Some of them struggle with self-worth because they attach it to self-image. Others struggle with self-worth because they attach it to performance. You know, if only I could look this way. If only I could get better grades in school or, you know, become a doctor or a lawyer like my parents want me to. 
all these people, you know, they listen to them. You know, I wish they could see how much God loves them as they are. You know, Paul is very wise in making this request because people would feel much more secure if they were more aware of God's love in their life. For Jesus' love isn't based on physical appearance or performance. His love isn't based, you know, on, on what we've achieved or accomplished. His love is based on his grace and your inherent worth is his creation created in the image of God. And through God's love, too, we learn to recognize that God is for us and not against us. I was in a Bible study once where a person shared that he didn't really believe God loved him. You know, he acknowledged that there was a God and that, you know, God was in him or, or you know, God had done things for him. He acknowledged that God had blessed him in some ways. But it seemed that because of some disappointments in life over what he expected God to do for him, which he didn't do, he said, you know, I don't know if God loves me. And I think Paul, you know, would, has written these verses and would pray this request for this person to know that Jesus does really love him. And just because things don't work out the way that he liked, would have liked to or would have envisioned, it's not that God is against him, but it, God is working things out in a greater way than you know, we could ever think or imagine. You know, part of why Jesus' love is incomprehensible is because it doesn't make sense to us. For myself, you know, there are many times when I don't feel I should be accepted by God. If I do something bad, say something stupid, you know, commit some sin, there are times when I feel, you know, guilty and, and shame and, and often have the mindset that I need to earn God's acceptance through doing something good. And I think some of you can relate to this. But once again, this isn't how God's love works. Because of Jesus, we are fully accepted by God out of his incomprehensible love for us. Paul prays this request. And once again, it is one that I can pray for you and we can pray for one another to bless and encourage each other. Paul's final request is that we would be filled with the fullness of God. And that's what it says pretty much in verse, at the end of verse 19. Here again, this seems like an oxymoron because how can the fullness of an infinite, all-powerful God be filled in us? Well, obviously it can't. You know, I, I thought I was trying to think of examples and I thought of like, you know, water gushing out of a fire hydrant and like trying to contain it in like the little communion cups, you know, we use for communion. But I think even that's too small of a scale to be an example. But like the earlier requests, Paul is praying that his readers would experience a greater measure and manifestation of God in their lives. When Paul writes of the fullness of God, he's referring to God's attributes, that his listeners would experience more and more things like God's grace and mercy, wisdom, knowledge, holiness in their lives. Why does Paul make this request? Because it is our motivation for service. You know, you can have assurance of salvation. You, you can know that you're saved or think that you're saved. You can be secure 
in your identity and just marvel in God's love. But if you're just thanking God for these things and it stays, stays contained within you, it isn't of much value. And you're miss, actually missing the point of salvation and of G- Jesus' love. But as you're filled more and more with God's fullness, like the example of the fire hydrant and the communion cup, as God continues to fill you, his characteristics, his love should overflow from you and out of you. And as, it, and as individuals, as the church, this is what the world needs to see and experience. You know, in light of the um, you know, recent shootings in El Paso and Dayton, you know, people especially you know, in our country are questioning you know, what's going on and whether this is like a new normal that the nation is becoming. I read an article from, of an interview of a pastor from Dayton, Ohio, where the, one of the shootings took place. And in the interview, he said he wanted to remind Christians not to get caught up in the nuances of each tragedy, but to recognize that the root cause of all these tragedies is evil. That there is a spiritual battle going on between good and evil, as Paul writes actually in Ephesians 6. Pastor adds, the reason these tragedies happen repeatedly is because the church gets lured away from its true calling, which is to represent the heart of God to the communities of which they are a part. Too often we're allowing our culture or political systems to be the tail that wags the dog. The church forfeits an opportunity for influence because we're not saying, Here's how, the tr- here's how God thinks about the situation. According to Carol and several other church leaders, as the local church goes, so goes the community. And this applies even more when we're faced with a tragedy. Carol thinks of the church as ambassadors that have been given the spirit of God with power and have been armed with tools such as prayer. And he asks, will the church step up and see itself as the forefront of this battle against evil, instead of getting sucked into, into the minutia of politics. Carol says church members should act more like first responders who do their jobs of not only helping the wounded in these battles, but also proactively going out to find those like the person responsible for the Ohio shooting in their torment and isolation to help them heal. And he adds, we are uniquely equipped to take on this role because we've been given the same spirit Jesus was given, which is the Holy Spirit of God. And I think what he writes is so true. You know, if we believe Jesus is the hope of the world, then we have to do a better job of showing Jesus to the world. It's not enough just to live a quiet and peaceful life where we don't bother anyone and mind our own business and try to stay out of trouble. Carol says we need to be more proactive in going out and being Christ's ambassadors. But as Paul reminds us in this passage, we don't go out because of guilt, because of obligation, because I'm telling you up here to do so, but because God has filled you so much that you can't help but go out and overflow God's grace and love and mercy and wisdom to others. If we as individuals or as a church just stand by idly, the church is anemic 
and the problem festers and grows. I mean, sure, we can cheer about how we're against racism and how we want to stand up against white supremacy and, and violence and gun control, you know. But how does that make us different from many in the outside world who are doing the same things? We need to point them to the answer, which is found only in Jesus. I think, though, part of the reason we maybe don't feel like we're overflowing is because we really don't believe actually that God could actually use us. Here we acknowledge that God's all-powerful and almighty. He can do anything he wants. But could he do it through me, through you? You know, we sang that song earlier where the lyrics are like, you know, you fill us more than we can hold inside. Do you really believe God can do that and will do that through you? Look at what it says in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. I mean, yes, we acknowledge, yes, that's true. But then the second part. According to his power that is is at work where? within us, within you. Do you believe God's mighty power is at work within you? Believe it, because this is what the scripture is teaching. Think about what would happen if God filled you up with more than you could hold inside. Long for this, pray for this, and believe what God can do through you to advance his kingdom in the world. Now, one important note, though, also I must make, is that we must avoid getting caught up in longing for an experience that we forget the point. And as one commentator put, it's simply stated, it's not about us, it's about God. That's why Paul concludes his doxology in verse 21, with, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. Able is, God is able to work within us as we have this experience of him filling us up more than we can hold inside. As individuals in the church overflow his characteristics to the outside world, the world takes notice and God gets the glory. I shared with you, you know, many weeks ago when I made my announcement about my stepping down from my position. I, I, I do believe Crossbridge and CBCGB's best days are ahead of you. As new leadership takes over and you all submit to obedience to God's leading, he will use you. The outside world will take notice and God will get the glory. Be filled more and more with the Spirit in Christ. Be filled more and more with the knowledge of the love of God. Be filled more and more with the fullness of God. This is what we can pray for. You can pray for yourself and pray for one another, that you may be blessed and God will answer your requests. And he will get the glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, so much for your word. I thank you for the truth in it and the encouragement we receive in this. So, Father, I pray for Crossbridge, that out of your glorious riches, 
you may strengthen them with power through your spirit in their inner being, so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. And I pray that they, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name, amen.